The Bible says that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant, for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. Father, I just pray today, Lord, as we uh, conclude our series today, God, that you will help us uh, to learn, to glean today, Lord, the lessons that that you would have us to learn uh, from this study, we pray. Let your anointing rest upon the message and Upon the messenger, Lord, today, give us ears today on our heart. Help us to receive, and God, help us, Lord, to flesh out, Lord, through our actions, what we receive and learn and glean today. All this we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, today we are going to conclude our four-week series on lessons from Jonah. Now each chapter has provided us with its own set of lessons. See, if we learn from somebody else's mistakes, it will spare us the bruises that would come if we had to learn everything by experience. Now this morning we're going to take a look at chapter 4. Now in chapters 1 through 3, we'll discover that that Jonah has disobeyed the call of God upon his life. And he's experienced God's chastisement because of it. And then the Bible says that Jonah repents. And then the Bible says that, that God calls him again. And the Bible says then that, that, that Jonah reluctantly goes after the second call. 
And the Bible says that he, that, that he preaches judgment on the city of Nineveh as God has directed him to. And the Bible says that Nineveh repents. The Bible says that God forgives them and chooses not to destroy them. That brings us to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, there are six lessons that I believe that we can pull from this chapter. There are many, many more, but there are six that I have chosen to focus on today. And the first lesson I want us to look at this morning, and that is this. We can do the right thing with the wrong motive. We can do the right thing with the wrong motive. Initially, Jonah ran from the call of God. But after God turns him every which way but loose, Jonah decides he better go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches God's judgment to them, obeys God's call upon his life, but he does it very reluctantly. As you read this story, you never pick up on any joy in the heart of of Jonah. I would say that his attitude is anything but stellar. He seems to drag his feet. He he moans and, and he groans. He goes, but only to get God off his back. He goes because because he doesn't want another giant fish to swallow him. Because this one might actually digest him. No doubt, Jonah is motivated by fear. Fear of what God might do to him if he doesn't go. Here's a lesson that we need to learn through Jonah's experience. We we can do the right thing with the wrong motive. You see, our love for God and not our fear for God should motivate us to do His will. I said we ought to be motivated by love. It ought to be the love, the incredible, awesome, oh, love that we have for God. That ought to be the motivating factor that motivates us, amen, to want to do the will of God and want us to please our Heavenly Father. Now, now I believe that we ought to have a reverential fear of God. I believe that we ought to respect Him. I, I believe that we ought to be fully aware of His power. And we ought to be fully aware that He is willing to use circumstances and situations to influence us, turn us every which way but loose if He has to, to get us to do what He wants us to do. But fear is not the right motive for working for God. Fear is not the right motive for doing the will of God. We ought to do the will of God out of a heart for love, a genuine love for Almighty God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, It is the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love, the genuine love and affection that we have for our Lord. That's what drives us. That's what motivates us. That's what keeps us going. That's that's what causes us to have a desire to do what we have been called to do. 
The second lesson that we can learn from Jonah in chapter 4 is whatever pleases God should also please us. Whatever pleases God should also please us. You see, we need to understand that our job as as children of God is to please our Heavenly Father. See, the problem is you think it's all about you, but it is not all about you, it is all about Him. And we come to God saying, what can God do for me and what can I get out of God? But that is wrong. Amen. We need to come to God because we love Him. And we ought to come to God and we ought to have a desire to do His will because we have a desire to please Him and be pleasing in His sight. It is our job as the children of God to please our Heavenly Father. Jesus said in John 8 and 29, He said, I always do those things that please my Father. God said of Jesus when he was being baptized by John the Baptist, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Bible teaches that our greatest reward in heaven will be to hear our heavenly father say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a little bit. I make you ruler over a lot. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus said we ought to pray this way. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the lesson that we need to learn today is this. Whatever pleases God should also please us. And our greatest pleasure here on earth should be in pleasing our God. Well, evidently this was not very high on Jonah's priority list. See, see I, I believe that Jonah was more interested in the, in the accolades of men than he was in the approval of God. See, he, he was afraid. Here's, here's what this was all about. Jonah was afraid that if what he prophesied to the Ninevites didn't come to pass, that he would be branded a false prophet. Then if I go and I prophesy doom and gloom, if I go and prophesy God's judgment upon them, and if God changes his mind and God uh, doesn't, uh, you know, God doesn't judge them, uh, that people are going to see me and they're going to look at me and they're going to judge me and view me as a false prophet. See, see, he was more concerned with his own reputation as a prophet than he was in the eternal souls of the Ninevite people or even in God's perfect will being accomplished. And God's perfect uh, will being accomplished is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, the truth of the matter is Jonah had a pride issue. How about us? Do we even consider what will please God when making our decisions? Is God even a part of the equation when we try and determine and decide what we are going to do with our life? No, too often it's all about me. It's all about my feelings, how it will make me feel. It's all about me and how I will be perceived. It's all about me. It's me, me, me. But it's not about me. It's about God. I mean, it is my responsibility to be pleasing in the sight of God. I need to find out what pleases God, and I need to be involved in what pleases God, and what pleases God ought to also please me. Yes, 
Notice another lesson that we can learn from chapter 4. This is a big one. Position without passion equals problems. See, 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 Jonah held the position of a prophet but was lacking in passion for his position. He doesn't seem to take his calling as a prophet very seriously. There doesn't seem to be any drive. There doesn't seem to be any enthusiasm. There doesn't seem to be any positive energy. He seems to be lacking in passion for the position that God has put him in. How about you? Are you lacking in passion for your position? Now, now this position could be your position at work. We could be talking about your position in the church. It could be even your position at home as a husband or wife or father or mother. Let me just take a couple of minutes this morning and and talk to you about how to restore passion. In the book of the Revelation, chapter number 2, there is is an, an incredible story about a church that had lost its passion. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4, it says, I have this complaint against you, says the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful if I opened my email on Monday and I get an email from God and he says, I have this complaint against you. I have this complaint against The grace place. Well, this church received this message from the Lord. I have have this complaint against you, says the Lord. You don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you did at first. What was was Jesus saying to them? He he was saying to them that you you have lost your passion for me. You don't love me like you used to. You you don't express your love to me. You don't get excited about our time together. Your heart doesn't race for me anymore. But Jesus doesn't present the problem to them without also presenting the solution. And the solution is found in in verse number 5. In verse number 5, Jesus gives them a three-step process to restoring passion. It'll help you this morning if you have lost passion for your position, whatever that position might be today. This is a three-step process that will help you to restore passion in your life. The first thing Jesus told them to do was to remember. Verse 5, Jesus said, remember from where you have fallen. The first step in 
The process of restoring passion is to remember how it once was. Remember how bad you wanted the position. Oh, oh, if she will just say yes to my proposal. Oh, oh, I'm going to get down on one knee tonight. And if she will just say yes. Oh, if my manager will just choose me for the position. There's three of us available and there's three of us qualified. But oh, oh, if somehow, somehow I could gain favor. Oh, oh, if the manager would just choose me. If the company would only hire me. Oh, if the pastor would only recognize that I'm qualified for the position. Remember. Remember. Remember how excited you were at the beginning. Remember how grateful you were to be chosen. Oh, remember how lucky that you felt Remember how many incredible ideas, oh, you had for the position, oh, oh, if I get the position, oh, if they hire me, oh, if they put me in the position, oh, if I get the position, uh, this is what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Can you remember? Can you remember what it was in the beginning? Can you remember how bad you wanted it? Evidently, Jonah forgot. What an honor it was to be chosen by God to be one of his prophets. I see this a lot. In ministry, I see this a lot. In pastoral ministry, as a pastor with other pastors, I see so many pastors that all they want to do is gripe and complain and bellyache and, and cry and sing the blues and talk about how bad and how hard ministry is. Oh, oh, they have forgotten. Oh, they have forgotten how bad they wanted to be in the ministry. Oh, oh, if that church would just call me. Oh, if they'll just elect me. Oh, if I could just have an opportunity. Oh, they forgot. They forget what an honor it is to serve God. Pastor, you never gripe and complain, bellyache about pastoring? Not very often. Oh, I've got plenty of other faults, and you know what they are. But I want to tell you that after nearly 43 years, I, I, I feel that it's an honor. It's an honor, and it's a privilege, amen, to be called of God. It's an honor and a privilege to carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's an honor and an awesome privilege and a great responsibility to have people looking at you and listening to you and following your example. And I'm honored today to be in this position. The reason why I'm not coasting to retirement Why we pray every day our latter years will be greater than our former years. I know what an honor and I know what a privilege that it is. Some of you need to remember. You need to remember how bad you wanted it. You need to remember how, how, oh, I mean, it was everything. It was everything. If only, if only, if only, if only. And you got it. And for a little while, for a little while you were excited. But today, where is the passion? Where is the drive? You don't honor the position anymore. Oh, 
how easy it is for us to forget what an honor it is to be chosen by God to hold any position. Any position that we have that we have been placed there by God. Oh, so often we do everything in our power. Oh, we pull out all of the stops. Oh, oh, we totally exhaust every ounce of energy we have in pursuit of a desired position. Oh, and we cherish cherish the position when we first get it. But oh, too soon the enthusiasm for the position is gone. Take, take it for granted and cease to honor it. We even start to resent it. The very thing that uh, we wish for and hope for, the very thing we were so excited about, not only are we no longer enthused about it, no longer do we not only not have any passion for it, but we actually resent it. If you're like the church that Jesus described in Revelation 2 for whatever reason, and whether your position be a position at church or whether it be one at work or even at home, you no longer have any passion for that position, it might be good to remember. Take a short trip down memory lane. Remember how bad you wanted it and how honored and how excited you once were when you, when you first got it. And remember now how far from that you are. Second thing Jesus told them to do was repent. Verse 5, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Some of you need to repent to your spouse. Some of you need to repent to your boss. Some of you need to repent to your ministry leader. You need to say to them, I'm sorry, I have allowed my passion for this position to be lost. I have taken it for granted. I no longer honor it. I've even come to resent it, and I'm sorry. I remember how bad I wanted this. I I remember how excited I was in the beginning and at first. Oh, I see how I have been letting you down lately and I am truly sorry. But Jesus didn't tell the church in Ephesus to just remember and repent. But he gave them the third step in the process of restoring passion. He said, return. Return. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Jesus said, return to your original passion. Jesus was saying, don't just tell me that you love me. Prove it through your actions. You see, people with passion for something show up with a good positive attitude. People with a passion for something say, speak kind and loving words. People with a passion for something have energy and enthusiasm and motivation. Amen. They don't have to be begged to come. They don't have to be begged to keep on the, keep on the team or keep on the program. Amen. They have a desire. They have a passion. They have an enthusiasm. Amen. They want to be there. They're there early and they stay late. Learn this lesson this morning. Position without passion equals problems. The reason why I learned a long time ago with somebody 
resigns a ministry position, accept it. Accept it. Don't beg them to stay because they've lost their passion. And position without passion equals problems. You can beg them to stay and they may stay a little while, but now when they leave, they're going to take people with them. Because they're going to take their infection and infect others. This was where Jonah was. He lost his passion for his position. And it caused Jonah to board a ship headed in the opposite direction of his assignment. It caused him to moan and to groan. It caused him to excuse himself from God's command. And it caused him to justify his reluctance to obey God. Position without passion equals problems. Notice the fourth lesson. Complainers will always have something to complain about. Now, I've been in ministry for over 42 years, so I'm not talking and speaking to anybody here today. But I'll just tell you out of the voice of experience that the people that complain in the church are usually chronic complainers. It's either too hot or too cold. It's either too loud or it's too soft. You went this way, you should have went that way. You did this, you should have done that. And I discovered not only do they complain in the church, they complain at home, they complain on the job. They are constant, chronic complainers. I'm sure glad we don't have any of those here. But those other churches I pastored, wow. There was a certain husband that was known to be a constant complainer. And he complained about everything. Didn't matter what it was, he complained about everything. And one morning his wife said, what do you want for breakfast? Eggs, he growled. Okay, sweetheart, what kind of eggs do you want? He said, give me one scrambled and one fried. So she scrambled one, fried the other. And she put the plate in front of him, one scrambled and one fried. And he looked at her with a scowl on his face. And she said, what's wrong now? He said, you scrambled the wrong egg. It's true. It's true. Complainers will always have something to complain about. In verses 5 through 9, Jonah builds himself a shelter. And God causes a plant to grow and to cover his shelter to give him some relief from the heat of the sun. And Jonah is elated. But the Bible says that, that then God causes a worm. To eat the plant. And Jonah's shelter is now gone and he feels the heat of the sun. 
And Jonah begins to complain. And he begins to pout to the point of willing and wishing to die. The truth of the matter is Jonah should have understood that although his comfort had been removed, the source of his comfort had not. I don't know, I've just been thinking about this all week and, and just maybe, just maybe Jonah should have taken the withered plant as a sign. A sign that it was time for him to get up from all of his sitting around and go do something. See, see sometimes God has to, has to take our comforts away. Even even the the comforts that he himself has given us. But he has to take away our comforts sometimes in order to get us moving again. Who knows how long Jonah would have stayed there resting under the shelter if it had not withered The Bible doesn't tell us what Jonah's next assignment was, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the only way God could get him to his next place was to remove the comfort of his present place. Maybe you're complaining about a recent loss or disappointment. Perhaps. I'm not saying he has. I said perhaps. Perhaps God has orchestrated this. I'm totally, totally convinced that we rebuke a lot of things that were sent by God. I'm totally convinced that we attribute to the devil a lot of things that the devil had nothing to do with but were sent to us by God. See, some of you just read your Bible selectively. Perhaps God has orchestrated this in order to get you from where you are to where he wants to take you. So we need to stop complaining when our shelter withers away. And instead we need to try and figure out what God is trying to do in us, through us, and where he's trying to take us. All right, notice the fifth lesson that we can learn today. I've already talked a little bit about this, but number five, the God who gives can also take away. God gave Jonah shelter for his comfort. Then he took it away to develop his character. See, Jonah would not win the MVP award on God's team of prophets. He had more than his share of struggles, more than his share of flaws. Just a few of them. He seemed to struggle with insecurity because he needed the applause of man. He was worried that if if what he prophesied didn't come to pass, he would lose credibility with his peers. He 
He seemed to struggle with depression. Because every time things didn't go his way, he became so depressed, he prayed to die. He struggled with pride. He struggled with obeying God. It seems that God always had to do something drastic in order to get his attention. The Bible says that God wants, he wants us to become so sensitive to him that he can guide us with his eye. Now, I'm not any better than my brother, so I'm not saying, I'm just giving you an illustration. But I have a brother that my dad had to take a two-before upside his head to get his attention. And me, he just had to give me a stern look. A stern look. That's all it took. The Bible says God wants us to become so, so sensitive to Him that He can guide us with His eye. He doesn't have to knock us upside the head with a tube before. He doesn't have to do something drastic. We are so sensitive to Him and His leadership that all He can, all we have to do is just look in, the, look in His eye. God wants us to be so sensitive to Him that He can guide us with His eye. For Jonah, it took a yank. I work alone, please. <laughs> People are always wanting part of the offering. You're not getting it? <laughs> we can learn this valuable lesson from Jonah. The God who gives can also take away. We can also learn that if we stay close enough to God to be guided by His eye, we won't have to experience His yank. And if we don't become too attached to the gifts God gives us, if we don't become too comfortable in the shade that God provides, God won't be forced to send the worm that causes the plant to wither. See, see, God gives us gifts because, because He loves to bless His children. But sometimes, oh, we force Him to take those gifts away when we become too comfortable. The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For, he said, if I grow rich, he said, I may deny you and say, who is this God? And he said, if I am too poor, I may steal. And this would insult God's holy name. Let's take one more, take a look at this last lesson we can learn from Jonah. The last lesson that we can learn that I'm talking about today is God uses imperfect people. God is perfect. Why would God choose to use imperfect people? <laughs> he has no choice. 
Look real quickly at Matthew chapter 7. <laughs> Jesus was a bulldog. <laughs> you got your little mamby-pamby Jesus. You don't know who Jesus is. He was a bulldog. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, Jesus said, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank that is in your own eye? wonder what he meant by that. Duh. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. That's your sweet Jesus there. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. According to Jesus, all of us have something in our eye. It might be a toothpick, it might be a two-before, but either way, there's something in our eye. All of us have flaws. All of us have faults. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord. Jesus said, hey, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first rock. The longer I serve in ministry, the more I see. And the more I see, the more I understand. That all of us struggle with something. All of us are flawed. All of us have our flaws and our imperfections. All of us. We all desperately need mercy and grace. Every single one of us. Now, my struggle might be not a struggle at all for you. The other day I was playing golf with one of my deacons. And we're, we're playing golf. And we look up in our cart. And there's a flask of whiskey up in the cart. I didn't have a problem, but I had to slap his hand away. Actually, I'm the one that took it down. And I opened it. And it was full. I could smell it when I opened the, I mean, just the first twist. And a little bit of it got on my hand. Oh, my goodness. Glad I was with one of my deacons. Amen. All of us. Struggle, my struggle might not be your struggle. Your struggle may not be my struggle. But we all have our struggles. And if you think you don't have any struggles, then your struggle is with pride and arrogance and conceit. In the race of perfection, Jonah would be far, far back in the pack. But God used him anyway. 
God uses imperfect people. He used Samson. He used David. He used Moses. He used Peter. He used used Judas. And he even uses me. Let me tell you a little something about me. People are waking up now. (laughs) Let me tell you something about me. I'm not nearly as good as some of you think I am. And I'm not as bad (laughs) as some of you think I am. If God had to use perfect people, His work would not get done because there are no perfect people. We are all flawed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all struggle. We all have our difficulties. We all need grace. We all need mercy. And without the grace and the mercy of God, not one person in this room today would make it. So please get down off of your high horse. Please step down off of your throne. Please stop trying to point out the the, the faults and the failures and the flaws of somebody else. Amen. I don't know why you can even see them because there's a two before coming out of your eye. My wife's not here today. I can get away with anything. We've all set ourselves up on that throne, haven't we? We all set ourselves up there, some authority and some, you know, we've got all the answers, you know, and we've got it all together. Listen, not one person in this room has it all together. There's not a person here today that's not struggling with something. But, oh, that's the bad news. But the good news is that God uses imperfect people. Amen. He'll use you and he'll use me. Oh, he wants to do something awesome and incredible in all of our lives. And we're all a candidate, amen, for the will of God and the blessing of God and for God to use us in an incredible way. Hallelujah. If I'd have quit two minutes ago, I'd have been better off probably. Get the worship team back in place this morning. God is willing to start with us right where we are. But he will use circumstances and situations to develop us into who he wants us to be. He'll send the storm if he has to. He'll prepare a fish to swallow us if he has to. He'll give a shade one day and take it away the next day if he has to. Amen? He's more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. Let me finish with this scripture. I love it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. We now have this shining light of Christ shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not 
from ourselves. Would you stand with me in his presence today? For the past four weeks, we have taken a journey through the book of Jonah. I pointed out to you 20 lessons that we can learn from the account of Jonah's life. I could very easily point out that many more. If we'll learn life's lessons from others, we will spare ourselves the bumps and the bruises that come when we learn them through experience. I urge you, take these lessons to heart. Take these lessons to heart. Father, I just pray today that you'll take your word today. Lord, not my sermon, certainly not Anything that I've said on my own, but God, take your word today. Let your word go deep in the heart of the people of God today. God, I pray that we will be changed because we've been in your presence and we've been in your house today. Oh, God, please help us, Lord, to to take these lessons and learn these lessons and take this word to heart today. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today in the presence of the Lord this morning. Has God been speaking to you today? (laughs) I know some of you know who should have heard this today. You sat there and you said, Ah, I sure wish so and so were here today. Ah, sure so. Oh, they are here. I hope they are listening. Had a little lady in my church in Elk City, Oklahoma several years ago. Sweet little humpback lady. Full of wisdom. Every time her mouth opened, wisdom fell out. Sister Catherine told me, Pastor, and she was the sweetest lady in the entire church and the godliest lady too. She said, Pastor, she said, every time I come to church, she said, I always make sure I bring a, I bring a rake and not a shovel. I bring a rake and I rake in the word. I don't bring a shovel to toss it back to the person behind me. And I think that some of you come to church with a shovel. And you say, oh, I wish they were here. I wish they, well, sure hope they were listening today. Well, maybe they did need to listen. And maybe you're right on in what you're saying. But I'm going to tell you something. All of us need a rake. All of us need a rake. I need a rake. Heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. How many this morning say, Pastor, lifting your hand? By lifting your hand, you're signifying or you are, you are saying, Pastor, God's dealing with me in some area in my life. He's dealing with me. God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you. God's dealing with me. He's dealt with me during this time, during the day or the last three weeks. He's been dealing with me. He's dealing with me and I want to answer God today and I, I want God to help me today. I mean, would raise your hand, and as you're raising your hand, you are saying or signifying, I have issues. I have issues in my life. Thank you. God bless you. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to pray for pride now because every person's hand ought to be up on that. Now it's too late now. Can we come to the front this morning? Everyone come forward, please.
Whether you raised your hand or you did not raise your hand, just come forward this morning. I want us to finish our time together at the altar in the presence of the Lord. If you have issues in your life, if you have things in your life, if you know what that boulder is that's in your, li- in your eye, it needs to come out. you're so super spiritual and so holy you don't know of anything then yours is pride I'll tell you something I've been serving God nearly my entire life been in ministry my entire adult life actually I was in full time ministry before I was an adult but I still have issues still have issues and so do you let God reveal those if he has ask him to forgive you and to help you today if God is dealing with your heart about a matter talk to him about it this morning help him, ask him to help you to be an overcomer in every area of your life I'm going to be quiet for just a couple of moments let you have one on one time with God I want you to take what you have heard today what you have learned today and I want you Cement it down in your heart and in your spirit today, right now.